All right, we are in the book of Mark. Praise the Lord. You know, when you read the Bible by the books like this and you do it verse by verse, you catch a lot of stuff that you don't get when you're doing topical or subject teaching. Sometimes it's good just to read the Bible as it is and you see things that maybe you read before, but it didn't stand out to you. And I like doing that. And God spoke to my heart about going through the book of Mark because the book of Mark is an action book. It's a book about the acts of Jesus Christ, the things that he did more than the things that he said. Of course, he said a lot of things, but it was a lot more about what he did and how he showed his love and his power and, and who he was, his deity. And uh, we learned so much about Jesus's activity. And so when you read the scriptures, you're getting it raw. You're getting it right off the press. You know, these are the things that the events that actually happened. So you'll get a chance to see how Jesus interacted with people of his time and uh, might be able to relate to how he can react or act on your behalf. So I think we're in Mark in chapter eight now. We just finished the Seraphonician woman and what Jesus did in that little episode. Let's take a look at chapter eight, verse one. In my subtitle, this is the feeding of the 4,000. And it says this in verse one. In those days again, when there was a great multitude and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Don't know if you guys would stick with me for three days without food, but <laughs> these people stuck with Jesus for three days. He was that compelling. He was that influential and the things that he was speaking was that engaging that in the presence of God, they had no sense of an appetite because they were being fed the word of God. And when you're getting the word like that, your soul, your spirit is being fed. And Jesus, the Bible says, felt compassion upon them. Compassion is kind of synonymous to the word mercy. He had a mercy and compassion for the people because he recognized that they'd been there for three days and he recognized that they had not eaten. So that can give you a little insight on how God cares about people and their eating and their comfort or their discomfort or their lack of something. And Jesus picked up in his spirit that they needed to eat because they'd been there for three days. I mean, after the third day, you're on a fast completely. Three days it takes to get into the state of ketosis on a fast, your digestive tract shuts down and it starts to go into what we call fat burning mode and you stop eating ingested food and eating the fat that's on your body. If you're skinny, you're in trouble. I won't have any problem right now. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but he, if you see the love just in this, that after preaching the gospel to them, that he had a sense that they needed to take a break and be refreshed. Isn't that beautiful about the Lord? See, even God doesn't want to misuse or wear anybody out. And so Jesus had compassion on them. So he talked to disciples about that. And he says in verse three, and if I send them away hungry to their home, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a distance. Look at the love and the compassion that Jesus has for people. Some of them have come from a great distance and he didn't want to send them away after he'd been speaking to them because he said they would faint. I love that about God, how, how much he cares. So you know God cares. 
I mean, we see people around the world starving. And you wonder why they're starving in some of these places. I went to Africa, and I was awestruck by the poverty that I saw there in the midst of so much wealth. And I asked a question to those who are in the wealth section. I said, why is it that there's so much wealth and riches in this great continent, and yet there's so much poverty? And when you come from America to come to Africa, they think we're all rich. You might be living in a one-bedroom apartment or two-bedroom apartment with running water, bathtub, refrigerator. See, to them, that's rich. To us, that's, I need more. This is not enough. And it just really struck me funny a little bit that I saw all that wealth. So I sat behind the desk of the wealthy man, and I said, how come there's nothing for the poor people? And he quoted kind of a halfway kind of thing, like what Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. In other words, like it wasn't his concern. And he told me that a while ago, that before, the, I was in Senegal, in Dakar, and it was mostly populated with Muslim. And so I went to their version of the White House, their capital, and sat with the ambassador and the secretary of the state. I would have got a chance to meet the president, but he was out of community at the time. It was just a small group of us, kind of a special little thing to go to. Um, Interesting things going on, just so many people everywhere, just people, just impoverished. Never seen anything like that. You know, I've been down to Tijuana, you know, you go to the border and you see that Tijuana pales compared to what I saw over there. I got off the plane and immediately you start to realize we're not in America. The stench, the smell throughout the land, the trash, the no sewage, and just animals and people dwelling together, walking everywhere. You're on the beach, there are animals all over the beach. It was just a very strange thing for me. And I started to be spoken to by God, you know, just starting to, he was dealing with me on a lot of things. And we have to learn how to be compassionate to people. Well, I got to a place where I just about gave everything I had away because I couldn't stand to look at what was around me all the time. And they would tell me, no, 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 don't, don't give, don't, don't do that. And I found out the reason why. And when you start doing that, for the first time, like Jesus, I felt a multitude and a throng. So many people came around me, it was frightening. And every one of them had a dire need. Much like Jesus is dealing with a multitude of people here, and yet he has compassion for them, but he's getting ready to do something about it to show how God loves and how he cares. But my experience there really humbled me. I spoke in one of the churches over there, and I was humbled because when I got off the plane, they were holding up this sign, and on the sign, it said Dr. Buchanan. And I looked around at the people, I said, who is Dr. Buchanan? <laughs> and so you come down, and they pull you into their rides for you. They're so hospitable. They take care of you, wait on you hand and feet. The person that I stayed with was a Muslim, and I stayed with his family. And of course, according to what we know about Muslims here, quite the contrary, there. Mr. Odama and his wife showed me more hospitality than even Christians did here. I was just befuddled with the idea that they said, Pastor Ralph, would you pray for our family? And I didn't know what to do. I said, you want me to pray for your family? You know I'm Christian, right? Yes. 
you know I pray in the name of Jesus. Yes. So I prayed for them. They were so excited. They felt so connected. They gave gifts. They gave us the best rooms. They took care of us. There was no division. There was no dissension. There was no fighting. They had a total respect for what I believed and what I was doing and what I was there for. And so I spoke at the church, and it was a Christian church. And it's not like us where we have a couple of slots and times that we speak. You got an hour for this. We got 15 minutes for that. I went over there and got a chance to preach, and they spoke totally in French. So I had to have somebody interpret for me, and that was different. Because every time I said something, they would speak it and interpret it. And so I was so-called done, and I sat down, and it was hot. There was no air conditioning. There was windows, but no windows. And it was just in a, a brick building like. And when I sat down, I thought they were going to do like we do, take an offering, everybody go home. Well, they started singing. They sang for about an hour. It was hot. We were all sweating. Nobody seemed to care about it but me. <laughs> and then they asked me to come up again and speak again. And I'm thinking, again? <laughs> you better know the word and you get over there. So I got up there. I said, okay, God, this one's totally on you. I thought you prepared me that time, but now it's time to get me out there to speak again. So that's when I got an understanding of what the scripture says, that don't worry about what to say because God will fill your mouth. He put it in my mouth to speak, and I spoke again. And they sat down, and they praised God for another hour. So I thought I was done then. <laughs> they had me speak again. <laughs> we were in church from the morning until the evening. I was so tired. And they were so energized. They said, come back tomorrow. I was like, okay. <laughs> but after a while, you start to get a sense of what compassion really means and mercy. You start to realize then that you're not there for yourself. You're there to be used of God. And when you get rid of thinking about what you have to do and what you can't do and all that stuff and let God use you, that's when it starts to take off. That's when it started to happen for me. And it was a wonderful experience that I had. And I got in touch with compassion after seeing all of that. And it was during the time of Ramadan. Millions of people in the streets walking. I'm talking millions of people. Just like you see in a National Geographic movie. They're everywhere walking all the place. They wanted me to stay. And they were going to give me 650 acres and build a church over there. I said, well, I ain't heard from God on that one. <laughs> I, I didn't hear God tell me to go over there and stay. But that's how hungry and how much word is needed and how much love is needed, how much compassion is needed, that when you go to places like that, they appreciate what you give them because they don't have it. Yeah. And somebody who's not really right could go over there and really misuse some things because they have this ingrained respect for spiritual leaders. I was not used to people speaking to me the way that they were speaking to me and, and treating me the way that they were treating me. Because in my mind, I'm just Ralph E. Buchanan coming over here to see what's going on in our country over here. So it was just really moving for me. So God taught me a lot about compassion when I got back here. I mean, that stayed on me for a long time. You know, it's just really hard, you know, to know that we have so much. We have so You're sitting right now in an air-conditioning building. You're sitting on padded chairs. You got tables around that you can put your book on and study. You got coffee. You got water. You all these things. That's not common around the world. We have bathrooms you can go to that are clean. The facilities are good. That's not common around the world. We have to be thankful. 
Jesus is concerned about poor people. He's concerned about poverty. And it's the church's responsibility to be on the front lines of the war of poverty. We have to be able to take care of people. And we got to be full of the word of God to be able to do that, right? And so he was concerned. So look at verse 4. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in a desolate place? And that's us always being natural-minded because Jesus talked to him about ministering to the needs of people. If God has ever given you a task that you went natural before you went spiritual, <laughs> God called you to do something, and the same question they asked, well, where will we get the resources? Where will we get the funding? Where will we get the things to do, the things that you're asking? He didn't ask them that. He just showed that he had compassion on the people. They were hungry. He didn't want to send them away. And the disciples' mindset, well, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Where will we get the things to do what you're asking about? And when a person has vision, you always have those people around you trying to thwart that vision. I'll tell somebody some things that we're going to do this year, and people are like, well, how are you going to do it? I don't think it's my job to figure out how I'm going to do it. I'm to believe and receive it. Amen. Have to believe and receive it. Listen. So in verse 4, again, the disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men, he says, with bread here in this desolate place. And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? In other words, show me what you're working with. Don't talk about what you can't do. How many loaves do you have? In other words, what do you have to work with? Don't just start doubting right out in the beginning. How many loaves do you have? Mind you, he'd been speaking for three days. And you know, when Jesus taught, there were some powerful revelations being revealed to people. And you would think just by the disciples being with him that they'd have a little more trust and confidence in who Jesus was because they were with him. They've seen him do so many things. And so it would not be a normal question for a disciple to say to Jesus how we're going to find something. If you've been with him, you would know that he is the Lord and he is the master. He is God in the flesh that that's not a good question for Jesus, not after knowing him. I could see the people asking that, but not the disciples. But in the same way, we do the same thing today. Most churchgoers are always asking God the question, how? Because we are shallow in our beliefs about who he is. But watch. He's asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Mind you, 4,000 people and seven loaves. So you know they were probably, okay, what's your next question? We got seven loaves. But remember, we got about 4,000 people out here. What are you going to do? Verse 6, and he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground. <laughs> so they told him, he asked what you had, and they said, we have seven. He says to the multitude, sit down here on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, notice what happened. He gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served the multitude. In verse 7, they also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. Verse 8, and they ate and were what? Satisfied. Say it again. Satisfied. Where did this start from? Jesus having compassion. Jesus concerned about them spending three days with him and not eating. And he didn't want to send them away because they would faint. So he said to the natural man, the disciples, how much do you have? We have seven loaves. And we had a few fish. Jesus thanked 
God for it, Amen. broke it, and then gave it to the disciples who were in question about what to do. Can you imagine that? They could not determine that this would be something God would do, so he gave it to them so he could not only show the people how much love and compassion, but to show the disciples to not be weak in faith. Amen. So he let them hand it out. Now, I don't know, I can't tell you how you take a loaf and you break it and you give it to somebody and you keep breaking it 4,000 times. I don't know for the life of me how you get a little fish and you pray over that and break it and you keep giving it to the people until 4,000 people are fed. Now, we know there's more than 4,000 because, you know, in every case where there, in one part says 4,000 men, it's usually women and kids there. But if we just stayed with the number 4,000. I worked in homeless ministries before, and I remember working with a couple of hundred people and how drastic that was. He's at 4,000 in the middle of a desolate place, and he's speaking the word of God, the true manner to the people, and then his compassion surges, and then he takes from the natural, and he performs something spiritual. God will take from the natural and perform something spiritual. See, that's what giving is all about. When you give to God that which is natural, he performs something spiritual. Something happens in the faith realm. When you give your tithe or your offering or your charitable donation to the work of God, he takes something natural and he does something spiritual with it. And that's the piece we can't ever forget when we're trusting God for a miracle this year. What do you have that is natural that you could give to God for him to use that to perform something spiritual? That's something you have to think about. Notice what happens. So in verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. Go figure. We start out with seven loaves and a few fish. Everybody ate till they were satisfied. And then there was leftovers. When God gets involved, there's always surplus. There's always something left over because he is the God of abundance. He is the God of just multiplying the sources that you have, the resources that you have so that you could be satisfied. They said that they ate until they were satisfied. In other words, they didn't just get a piece of bread or a little piece of fish. They ate till they were satisfied. And after 4,000 people, Reggie, he had leftovers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that's scriptural for having leftovers, y'all. If you ever were wondering whether you should have leftovers or not, yes. Leftovers are blessed. You got some people who will not eat leftovers. Interesting. Verse 8 again. And they ate till they were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over from the broken pieces. Now watch this in verse 9. And about 4,000 were there. And then he sent them away. Powerful discourse of the compassion and mercy of God. Powerful, powerful, powerful. And then we go down in verse 9. It says, and about 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And verse 10 says, and immediately he entered the boat with his disciples. Jesus was always traveling by sea. And he came to the district of Dalmanutha. And verse 11 says, and the Pharisees came out. And, you know, they always show up at the end of something. The Pharisees came out. 
and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And that was the intent of them asking him something. They were trying to test him. They really didn't want a sign. They just wanted to test him. Now watch what happens in verse 12. And sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now watch verse 13. And leaving them again embarked and went away to the other side. Here's a situation where some people challenged Jesus and Jesus pretty much ignored them. Basically told them you weren't going to get a sign. So a lot of us are sign seekers. We're looking for some reason to believe rather than just believing. Amen. In other words, if you give me a sign, then I'll believe. If you do something for me, then I'll believe. If you show me something, then I'll believe. And Jesus said he sighed deep within himself, almost at a point of uh, just a frustration. Best word I can fit. Probably wasn't frustrated. But to me, he sighed deeply. and He says, you people are always looking for a sign. He says, there will be no sign given you in this actual text here. And then he walked away from them. So it's important for us to know when it comes to asking God for something, we need to come to God by faith. As he says in Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. These people were not in faith. They were accusing him of something and testing him in an area so that they can make accusation against him. And he did not entertain it. And you'll have some friends of yours that'll tell you, you know, why do you go to church? Why do you believe in that? You need to show me something. They're asking for a sign. As Jesus ignored that, you should ignore that. You couldn't prove God to anyone. Let me just say it to you again. You cannot prove God to anyone. Hard for you to prove God to the carnal mind because they, the things that you learn from God are spiritually discerned or praised. So unless a person has a spiritual kind of in-depth connotation, they are going to resist everything you say. So it's not your job to prove God to anybody, but it's your job to walk with God. And as we walk with God, the proving is in the walking. Over a period of time, people will eventually see that your house will be standing no matter what adversity comes to it. That your house is not built on sand, but your house is built on the rock of the word of God. And over the years, you'll see people fall, yet it will not come nigh you. And if any are left at the end of an adversity, they'll start to pique at interest and get hungry for what you're doing and how you're living. But you cannot prove God to anybody. For you to go out and try to prove God to somebody, you're going to get your tongue twisted up. The Bible says not to wrangle about with words, which is useless to the hearers. To try to study God and figure him out is nearly impossible to do. And we have the scripture as it is unfolded to us now, and we barely can get through the entire book. Without understanding that, how would you prove God who's bigger than the book? You hear what I just said? God is bigger than this. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said there are things he wanted to share with them, but they couldn't even bear it. He says, and if he could speak all the things, he said the world itself could not contain it. I've been in some pretty vast libraries. Jesus said the world itself could not contain all the things yet that he did and things that he wants to show and reveal. But he saved back a lot of the stuff so that the Holy Spirit can continue the work that he started to be a revealer of truth, a guider into all truth, to help us to know and to become what God has called us to be. You see, so he is bigger in what's being revealed to us in the book. But this is the place we start. 
And this is the place we finish. And whatever yet God wants to reveal more, he will do that to those who are hungry. The hungry shall be filled. The thirsty shall be satisfied. You see, so your hunger dictates what God reveals. I don't know if you caught that. Your hunger dictates what God reveals. If you're not hungry, just like my kids, I'm not going to feed them. In my case, they're always hungry. (laughs) But God will feed those who are hungry. As we just saw, he fed the 4,000 because they were hungry. And then they were satisfied. You will be hungering for the things of God. And then you'll be satisfied from the things of God. So this year, I'm praying for satisfaction in the word. But I'm also asking for a double portion of hunger on his people. That God, as your people are hungry, the same way you had compassion upon the multitude, that you'll continue to extend your compassion to the multitude's ear. But we have to hunger and thirst for the things of God. So it's a very powerful, powerful discourse. And so right in verse 11, said, the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And again, he sighed deeply in his spirit. And said to them, why does this generation seek for a sign truly? I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And leaving them, he began to embark and went away to the other side. Now look at 14. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have any more than one loaf in the boat with them. Now this would be an interesting thing. (laughs) They just saw Jesus feed the multitude and they forgot to take bread with them and they only had one loaf. Now, in our mind, after hearing this story, you'd be thinking, oh, it's an easy breezy, breezy easy. If we just saw Jesus feed 4,000. Surely he could feed 12, right? <laughs> I mean, he just did 4,000, and he had seven loaves. That's 4,000. He's got one loaf, and it's just 12 of us. Natural thinking, natural-minded stuff. It's what we do. We do that even today in the church, natural-minded with the things of God. So, <laughs> verse 15. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he says, and the leaven of Herod. In verse 16, and they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) What was Jesus saying? They were focused on, we only got one loaf of bread. He said, be careful of the Pharisees. Watch out for the leaven and even of Herod. Yeah, but man, we ain't got but a loaf. Couldn't even do what the 4,000 did. They listened to Jesus for three days. They couldn't even listen to Jesus for a moment. Three days they listened, and Jesus said, they're weary, they're hungry. I need to help them, and he did it. They just got done seeing all of that. Jesus is telling them, the Pharisees are coming up to start up stuff. They're arguing with us. They're testing us. Beware. Man, but we ain't got but a loaf. We got a loaf of bread. They're concerned about natural things. It is natural. For us to be concerned about natural things when we're naturally minded. When you become spiritually minded, you must become concerned about the things of the spirit. And what they should have been doing is paying attention to what Jesus said rather than listening to their belly. My appetite will get me in trouble 100% of the time. What got Adam and Eve in trouble? Their appetite. And it wasn't that they were hungry. They had an appetite for the things that they shouldn't have. Because you know that they weren't hungry because God said every other tree in the garden is yours. Eat freely from it. So they were full. They had everything they wanted. But the appetite or the curiosity to want what they couldn't have 
got them in trouble. So it was a appetite that was default from what God desired for them. Because they were full. How many of you know that when you're full of things, you still have appetite for other things? Amen. You do. So God gave, he took care of their natural need, but he left an area for the spiritual dimension to be preserved. And he told them, out of all the other trees in the garden, you can eat freely from. I mean, all day long, I can sit at the tree and eat every orange, every apple, every banana, whatever fruit they had in the garden, I can eat it all day. But in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat. That's it. They had an appetite for what they didn't have. We should be having an appetite for what God says. But watch this. So he, 15, he says he was giving the orders to them. Watch out. It's an exclamation mark in my Bible. In other words, he was very said, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss, you would think, what Jesus said with one another, the fact that they had no bread. Do you see that? Now look at 17. And Jesus, aware of this. Wait a minute, I just told you to beware of something, and I perceive in your thoughts you're thinking about bread. I'm aware, I'm aware that I just told them something that was going to save them or help them. I warned them of something that was detrimental to them. And yet in their minds, all they could think about is we only got one loaf. We forgot to bring some of that bread. Don't y'all know there were seven baskets filled and there were fish? How come you didn't take some and put it in your smock, man? <laughs> How did that escape our notice out of all of us? Nobody, you didn't get no fish? You didn't get no bread? Yeah. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Where the bread at, man? Where is it? You mean to tell me after all of what did you do with the baskets, man? He handed it to us and we handed it to people. Who had the baskets? This is what was on the disciples' mind. Who had the baskets? Jesus told them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Who got the baskets, man? Sounds dumb, doesn't it? Sounds crazy. Sounds ridiculous. The Lord God himself is speaking to them about what's pertinent, what's important, and all they could think about was what was going to happen to their belly. Interesting, isn't it? And I love verse 17, the piece that Jesus was aware of this. Don't you know he's aware of everything you're thinking and doing and feeling? He was aware and said to them, listen, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Why do you do that? Do you not yet, he said, do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened Heart. Jesus is kind of reprimanding a little bit here because he had them with him when he fed the 4,000. He gives them a spiritual message. They're still stuck on the bread. And I feel like that sometimes when you minister to people in modern day society, people are stuck on whatever they're stuck on. No matter what I'm saying or what I'm sharing, what I'm trying to make real for them from the Lord, they're stuck on things. And it's hard to get people unstuck. And that's why so much prayer has to go forth in a church service. And I know this year, I'm asking those of you who are with me and with the Lord, most of all, with him mostly, but you're with me here. That during the service, sometimes shoot up a prayer. Shoot up a prayer for whoever's listening. Because the enemy comes to steal that which is sown. And while you're sitting there listening to me speak, I'm laboring in the spirit to try to get us to understand something that our bellies will never get us to God. Not our natural bellies. 
But I also believe we have a spiritual belly. And that's where the Holy Spirit resides, our spirit man. The whole part of who we are is spirit. We are spirit. We live inside of a physical body and we possess a soul. And we have to connect with that. We got to connect with the spiritual part of us. Not to worry about it. Jesus reprimanded them a little bit about that because he told them clearly. And he told them, he says, you're lacking understanding and have a hardened heart. And when somebody tells you you have a hardened heart, you have an unbelieving or unbelief, a heart of unbelief. And you start to think, how could they have a heart of unbelief when Jesus fed 4,000 people and used their hands to do it? Notice the Bible didn't say Jesus blessed it, broke it, and he gave it to them. He gave it to his disciples to experience the miracle power of God. And yet there were still, while they were giving the people the bread and the fishes in unbelief. I want you to think about that. While they were doing the work of God, they were in unbelief. They were probably like, what is this? How is this happening? Oh my goodness, what does he have us doing here? 4,000 times over and over again. But he says they have an unbelieving heart. So you can be in the midst of the power of God. You can be in the midst of God doing miraculous things and still be walking in unbelief. And I pray this year we break the spirit of unbelieving in the name of Jesus, that we destroy the yoke that is on the people to disbelieve that all things are possible to the one that can believe. This is a year of God's supernatural ability intervening upon your naturalness. God coming upon you, baptizing you in his spirit, filling you with his spirit, operating in gifts and moving about the earth realm and touching those who are in deeply need by having compassion for people. And I think that all miracles start with the basis of compassion. All of the miraculous things of God start with a spirit of compassion. If you have no compassion for people, you will never see the miraculous. You got to really genuinely have a love for God's people to see God move through you with compassion that extends to the miraculous for those who are in need. Very important factor this year. Have compassion for people. Don't sit in judgment of people. It doesn't matter why they're homeless. It doesn't matter why they're an alcoholic. It doesn't matter why they're in a particular lifestyle that you disagree with. It doesn't matter. It begins and ends with compassion. There was not a judgment that Jesus placed upon the people when he fed them. He just said, what are your needs? And what do you have? And he blessed it and said, feed them. Didn't say, are you ready to forgive? Ask God to forgive you before I give you this bread? Are you going to repent of your sins before we help you? Are you going to tithe in the church before God's able to bestow his blessing upon you? Are you going to be at church every Sunday before we decide to have a meeting with you? See, all these things are judgmental. It's not our place to tell people you need to be a member before we do something for you. You need to be acting right before we do something for you. Jesus didn't ask out of 4,000 people, you know there was sin in the camp. He didn't ask one time, are these people spiritually right after I spoke to them in three days? Do we know for a fact that they received every word that I said? Because in fact, if they did, we're going to take care of them. They got a free lunch. He didn't say that. He had compassion on the multitude. Does that make sense? We get from God what we could not provide for ourselves. We get from God what we could not do for ourselves. For if we could do it, who would need God? If you could save yourself, why would Jesus have to come and die on a cross? Do you know that Jesus was bred 
on the cross. He was the living bread. And that if we eat that bread, we would have eternal life. In other words, if we believe on him, we would have eternal life. Verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Watch this now. He breaks back. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, he says, how many baskets full of pieces you picked up? Do you not remember that? That just happened? He says, and they said to him, 12, <laughs> right? So he's trying to break down, make them understand what just happened, and now you're sitting here worried about a loaf. Verse 20, and when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. So on one occasion, he did 5,000 people, and they picked up 12 baskets. And another occasion, he did 4,000 people, and they picked up seven baskets. And this just happened. Just happened. And they're doubting God, like we do. Watch. Verse 21. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. And verse 23 says, and taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes. And I told you last week, we found out about the wild Jesus. <laughs> Jesus did some wild stuff last week when we were talking about, you know, healing and deliverance. He took the man that was deaf and dumb and stuck his fingers in his ears, pulled him to the side, stuck his fingers in his ears, and then he spat on his hand and put it in the man's mouth. And the man began to hear and to speak. And that's wild. I dare to say none of you would ever let anybody put their fingers in your ear. But yet Jesus saw fit to put his anointed fingers in this man's ear and his anointed saliva on this man's tongue and the fingers took away the deafness and the saliva took away the dumbness of not being able to speak. Very powerful stuff. It's just wild. And it's just hard to make us understand how impactful that really is because in modernity today, you don't see a lot of that. You don't see people operating in the power and the gifts. And why? Because they don't believe. They don't believe. They go to emergency. Gotta get an appointment for the doctor. Gotta get my flu shot. I knew it'd get quiet. <laughs> I'm not saying those things are wrong, but that's where people's faith are. That's where it is. Because society has made it so easy for us to trust pharmacies than to trust God. Should we not go to the pharmacy? I didn't say you shouldn't go. I'm just saying what the condition is right now. They didn't have pharmacies back then. Couldn't go to CVS, Sam's, Costco, or wherever your doctor's pharmacy is. You had to believe God. You either believed God or you suffered, even to the point of death. So we want to get back to where we're exercising our faith so we can see less pharmacy. Then when we go to the doctors, we can preach the gospel to our doctors. Amen? Amen. People in medicine are of science. Well, we know one is omniscient, which is omniscience. <laughs> and we can teach the word of God by demonstration. 
and how he loves us and how he takes care of us that we leave even the doctors astonished, right? So verse 23 again, and taking the blind man by his hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands upon him, he asked him, do you see anything, <laughs> right? In verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men for I am seeing them like trees walking about. What that means is, is that when Jesus did that to him, he couldn't see anything. So now when he looked up, he sees men as trees because it's bleary. He didn't have any bleary, had nothing at first. He said, I see men like trees, all the leaves, you know, you're kind of bleary. I'm seeing men as trees walking around. So we see the beginning of a miracle getting ready to happen, right? I mean, the Bible is fascinating. And verse 25, then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently, he says, and was restored and began seeing everything clearly. So Jesus touched him again because <laughs> he saw men as trees. And then he started to see clearly and then he began to see. So what we see here is a progression of a healing. And I believe because it was progressive because this wasn't just a healing, this was a miracle. God restored something in this man's eyes that would allow him to see. And the first time he touched him, the man saw him in his trees. The next time he touched him, he saw clearly. That's a progression of what God was doing, was restoring the eyes and not just healing the eyes completely. It was miraculous, right? So we see this. That's why I said the book of Mark is a book of action. And in the last verse it says, and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Because here again, Jesus was doing these signs, these wonders, and it was personal for people as he was on his way to finish the work God, the Father called him to do. And it was not time yet for him to be completely revealed. And so he would just heal people along the way. He cast out demons along the way. He'd do signs and wonders. He'd teach in their synagogues. You know, he would rebuke the Pharisees and all these things, but yet it was not time. Now, next week, we'll get into a little more practicality of when it starts to become his time, we'll start to see more of it. But it's so important that you know that God is about loving you. He's about caring for you. He's about meeting your needs because the more God visits you, he gives you the ability to witness for him. Amen? Amen. So stay with me until next time. Amen. Amen.